What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, covering the team for The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The Canucks are on the road, getting ready for a three-game swing through Eastern Canada, which means our guy Drancer is also on the road, getting ready to cover that swing, uh, which means I get to play my favorite game, Throwing to Drance at the start of the show and seeing how the technical connection holds up. So here we go. What's going on, man? Well, I'm now traveling with like a remote Ooh. internet cable-like hookup. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, the telecommunications giant we work for has yes. now outfitted me with the equipment to insulate myself against bad hotel Wi-Fi, I believe... I will be clear. I believe I'll be on video. Like, I think you're getting the full Drance I, experience, and and no one ever wants the full no, Drance experience. No, can, so. we, can, we, can we get, like, 10% glitching in here just to break things up a little bit? But no, this is amazing. We've got uh, – you're, you're, you're coming through loud and clear. I can see you talking on the screen, and you're – there's not even, like um, – a disconnect between your mouth moving and the and the the sound coming out, right? Like this is truly <laughs> wild. What an age we live in that it, we are able to to do this. <laughs> this is straight up Back to the Future stuff. You're gonna microwave a mini pizza and it's gonna be a giant pizza. Um, <laughs> that's that's what's coming next. Hey, <laughs> uh, Canucks practice out in Ottawa. Some interesting stuff to get to. In particular, Teddy Bluger yes. looking close. Yeah, so- like. I don't. I don't know. Probably aggressive to suggest that he'll play tomorrow, but I, I think we're going to see him. I think we're going to see him on this trip. I think we're going to see him very, very soon. Uh, looked good. Rick Tockett explicitly said that he passed a very important test in terms of uh, stops and starts, being able to execute those as a full participant at today's practice, uh, unencumbered by any additional pain from that lower body injury. Um, so. I, I mean, Bluger sounds like he's getting close and reading between the lines, although obviously Tockett didn't spell it out for me. Um, you know, I, I won't be shocked to see DeSmith get at least a game, but I think there's a real chance he might get two of the three on this trip. So that's there's a lot to get to there. Let's start with, because uh, I think the goaltending stuff is really fascinating as well. And by the way, it is going to be uh, the crossover with Donnie and Dolly coming up in about five minutes. Uh, already a little bit of hype in the inbox for that. I don't want to tell anyone to damper their expectations, but we'll have our guys, our good friends on uh, from uh, from Donnie and Dolly on in about five minutes here. And then Jason Bukala will join us at one o'clock as well. But before we get to that, yeah, I think the highlight from practice, you were there in Ottawa, Teddy Bluger, a full participant. Now, and it's very interesting to hear you say that, okay, maybe not tomorrow, but possibly on this trip. I was wondering if maybe they'd give him the kind of the extra time to 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 work with the team at practice and you see him when they come back home. But look, I mean, they were obviously very keen to add Teddy Bluger and what he brings to the lineup in the offseason. So I also understand them trying to get him out there. 
it, it, it raises a, a, an interesting question, though, which is, of course, well, then who comes out? And that's a right. difficult question, especially now when the team is clicking, and especially when really the bottom six over the last three or four games has started to look as cohesive and as productive and effective as it has so far this season for the team. Well, and especially because Beauvillier stands out so clearly as, like, you don't want to soar his value. Yep. Right? Given that if you want to add, like, if you want to add to this team, if you want to up right side of this defense, right, Beauvillier's expiring it is a super important asset to have mm-hmm. to accomplish that. Right? I mean, that's that's the easiest one to do. You know, our, our inbox has, has frequently percolated with, why does everyone talk about Garland when Beauvillier is expiring? And, and like, there's logic to it, but it's because it's a different type uh, of deal entirely, right? Um, so I don't think you can take Beauvillier out of the lineup given sort of that underlying need, the, the possibility yep. uh, that he could be a difference maker or turned into a difference maker or part of a package for a difference maker. As this season goes along, you, you need to maintain um, his value, and, and he's played fine. The problem is, is that you cannot tell me on merit that Niels Hoaglander should come out of this lineup. No. Like you cannot tell me that Sam Lafferty on merit should come out of this lineup. Um, you can't tell me that this team doesn't need Dakota Joshua's size and ability on the penalty kill, even if that role is reduced somewhat with Bluger returning uh, out of this lineup. So wh- where does that leave you, right? Uh, between a rock and a hard place and facing a really difficult decision on, you know, sort of your medium term interests in terms of Beauvillier's status and value and your long-term interests, which is you don't want to stand in the way or impinge on the development of Nils Hoaglander, especially when it, it feels like it's finally clicking for him right now. Yeah. And the co- so to me, if we're just talking merit and we put all the other considerations aside, Beauvillier would be the guy and the other one would be Dakota Joshua. It would kind of come down to those yeah. two players. Who are you taking out? And I agree with you about Beauvillier's trade value. You don't want to sit him down and have him be a healthy scratch because just the optics of that for trade partners and it completely changes the dynamic of what you might want to do with him at some point this season. And with Dakota Joshua, now this is where you know tomorrow's game and if, if Bluger's not quite ready for Saturday, Saturday's game could play a really big role because we've already seen Dakota Joshua healthy scratch not that long ago. Jack Sudnika came in in his place, but then he's right back in the lineup. I thought Dakota Joshua played really well against Edmonton, and you started to see some of that that bite and that physicality that he can bring, not to mention some playmaking as well. So if this was a week ago and Teddy Bluger was coming back, I think maybe it would be a bit easier decision. You say, all right, we'll use this opportunity to take Dakota Joshua out and see how it develops, but when you start to see the positive results from him and him playing more of that stuff, style, it's really difficult to then turn around and say, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, you played really well, but now you're back out of the lineup. And I know it's got to be somebody, but it's just, that's a tough thing to sell, I think, right now as well, when I thought he did have a really, really strong game against Edmonton. Yeah, well, a couple other quick notes from practice, and then we can get into more of this chatter in the crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, but first off, Jack Nico wearing blue, a defenseman's blue jersey. Now, uh, time change is really hard on me, Jamie. I'm not going to lie, like, coming East, like 3 a.m. last night, um, quick, you know, six hour sleep, and I'm back at practice. I wasn't seeing very straight, and I was like, who's that defense who's right handed and six foot two? Like, <laughs> who have they added? Excited. And like, just as, just as I'm considering, like, should I walk to the other side of the rink to get a better view at the number on the back of his helmet? Like, is this Cole McWard? Like, literally just trying to figure out who it could be. 
uh, Patrick Alvin happens to walk by me and I, I put it to him in exactly that way. I was like, Patrick, can you help me identify that big right-handed blue liner you, you have on your, on the ice? And he was like, oh, that's Danica. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so that was helpful. Uh, I, I may need glasses like just for when I'm underslept, I think. Anyway, uh, and then also Mark Friedman out early with Rick Tockett working at length. Um you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. Sounds like Friedman wasn't very happy with his game uh, on uh, Monday night against the Oilers. And I, I think him and Rick were just sort of going over a few things as, as Friedman worked to sort of put it behind him um, and, and have what he considers a bounce back. And, you know, I didn't sort of put it to him this way when I was uh, asking him about it. But, like, did you think Mark Friedman had a had a poor game against Edmonton? I didn't. Um, to me, that's sort of a, an interesting into just how high some of the standards are around here at the moment. Well, it is interesting because I wouldn't necessarily say that he stood out as having a poor game, but he did play significantly fewer minutes at 5-on-5 than his partner, Ian Cole. Ian Cole is up at 16 5-on-5 minutes, Mark Friedman down at 10, and we did see some of the switching and the rotating pairs in that game, so I wonder if there was something happening or maybe Mark Friedman just saw his minutes drop and said, you know what, i got to figure out a way uh, to rebound from that, but as you said, speaks to the standards and the accountability and the push to not rest on your laurels, uh, even with the incredible start that this team has gotten off to all right it is 10 after 12 it's wednesday that means it's time for the crossover with our pals from donnie and dolly every day you can watch them on check tv 10 to noon and they join us now as they do every week it is don taylor and rick dollywall uh just four four best friends ready to have a good time together here guys, horrible right? horrible horrible <laughs> Besties, besties, besties. That's exactly right. That's the word I was looking for. Is that what the kids say today? Besties. Horrible. That's what the kids say, as far as I'm aware. Stop. I'd have to check with them. I'm, I'm pretty old myself, but. No, are, you, are you guys hip to this horrible thing? Horrible. Why are you guys playing horrible? I don't know. Dom, Dom said they're going to do this thing, and I'm like, I don't know. Okay, whatever. Dom is Dom is yeah. pressing a button here. It's from your show. We is that right, Dom? The worst, we, we yeah. came up with the worst edit in the history of, uh, of editing. Uh, yesterday, and uh, we had some fun with it. So yeah. that's uh, that's where that comes from. Kind of an inside joke. <laughs> inside joke. You three people it. will get it. <laughs> well, well, I'm happy for those three people. Big moment for them. Yeah. How you guys doing? Four. Couldn't Good. be better. Donnie, go ahead. Nine, two, and one. This well, team is rolling. Fine. Yeah. No, I just I, I think for a lot of people, there's the sense of dis. If you've been around for a long time, we all have. Yep. Uh, especially me, just a sense of disbelief with what's happening with the Vancouver mm. Canucks, and it's 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 a whole lot of fun. I, enjoy it, but it, that that disbelief is, is still out, out there. And now, a uh, uh, test uh, in the East where Thomas is nine two one guys. Can... It, 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 uh, Thomas, I, hold on a sec, Thomas. I don't think <laughs> I don't think anybody like I I don't even think the Vancouver Canucks internally guys thought that a start like this was possible. Um, the president, uh, Jim Rutherford, said that if everything goes right, we, we should make the playoffs. And that's, you know, remember the quote, guys? Yep. If everything goes right, we're going to make the playoffs. What they have done is absolutely blown everybody. You And, Thomas, you talk to people around the hockey circles. I do. I'm getting texts from uh, pro scouts. I'm getting texts from people outside uh, Vancouver saying, holy smokes, what's going on in Vancouver? How did you guys do that? What's happening? But I honestly, there isn't one person 
that can honestly look in the mirror and say they predicted this. I, I certainly know not many in the media uh, certainly <laughs> done. I know a lot of fans did not predict this, but uh, good on them. Everything that they're doing right now uh, is, is, is turning up roses. And uh, enjoy the ride, guys. Well, I, I think the most impressive part of all this is something that we saw in the Edmonton game. And that's the adversity that they faced early on, getting outshot, what was it, 19-2 to in the first 10 minutes or or so, and bouncing back from that. And it just seems like every test they have where something bad happens, there's some adversity. I remember Pat Quinn talking about this way back when. How do you bounce back from that? And so far, so good. It never happened before. It speaks to the coaching staff, I would think, but that that never, ever happened before, and it's enjoyable to watch because, you know, you you put your evening aside to watch a game if you're a Canucks fan, and, you know, nine times out of ten in the past when something like that happens against Edmonton, they get outshot badly, down one nothing. game's over. Your your evening's over. Your evening's entertainment's over. That wasn't the case, and that's been really impressive. Gentlemen, what are you seeing from Quinn Hughes and how different is it in terms of the level he's at uh, than the level that any Canucks defender has ever been at in this franchise's history? He's an elite player and elite players, uh, (laughs) the traits of elite players, uh, uh, Thomas, they hate to lose. They want to get better every single day of the week. Who who's the one guy that gets better in the summers and comes back wants more responsibility? Remember, uh, he asked Travis Green to kill penalties mm-hmm. and Boudreaux as well. He asked uh, uh, so many. His mind is always geared to being elite, and you can't buy that at the hockey shop. He just wants to get better every day of the week. I bet you a million bucks. Quinn Hughes is still trying to say to himself on a daily basis, "How do I get better?" Um, you know, it helps when you got a guy like Heronik who can skate like that. And give him the room and freedom to do as he pleases. And he's in a great pair. The offense has always been there. The thing that blows me away, guys, is when he's at the point and how he eludes defenders and how he one of the hardest things to do is check Quinn Hughes you know he uses his mind and his skating to get away from defenders I remember two goals in the past week he's at the blue line he gets past his defender gets down low and there's a goal he is just a pleasure to watch he's the greatest defenseman in the history of the Canucks it's not even close I just we're running out of words to describe him well you know Thomas you talked about the past and there have been some solid solid defensemen in Vancouver you know, Alex Edler, Yurke Lume, uh, Ed Jovanovsky, P- Paul Reinhardt for a, a couple of a season seasons. Uh, you know, Dennis Kearns going going way back. Yep. I don't remember any of them, and this is with all due respect, and there are others as well. But I don't remember any of them being talked about in terms of winning the Norris. Yep. And that's that's out there with, with with Quinn Hughes, and you know, leading every other defenseman, even at the early early stages of a season, by that many points in terms of points among NHL. I don't remember anything like that, like this at, at all. Nope. And you kind of knew this was going to happen right off the bat, that he was going to be the greatest defenseman in the national, in, in Canucks history, not national hockey league <laughs> history, but, um, but in, in Canucks history, and I, he, he's there, he, he's there. And there, there's a stat, I forget who tweeted it out, but there's a stat after 12 games being, having 20 points and being plus 16, 12 games in, there's only one NHL defenseman who's ever done that ever, uh, keeping in mind that plus minus hasn't always been kept. That was Bobby Orr. Bobby yeah. Orr. You're throwing that name in there when you're talking about Quinn Hughes, and I'm serious. I mean, it's factual, right? It's not, yeah. it's not opinion. Yeah. It's, it's factual. It's, it's pretty impressive. If that and is good company. Uh, guys, 
Oh, look, what, Rick, one second. Let me drop a nugget, then I'll kick it back yep. to you. Um, okay. One thing about one thing about Hughes always looking to get better, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw uh, on the Canucks socials, they, they posted photos of the players getting on the plane. Uh, Quinn holding a book in those photos. The there book, you go. I am told, by the way, is by Greg Harden, who's a Michigan Wolverines coach, worked with Tom Brady, Desmond Howard, mm. Michael Phelps. For the years, it's called "Stay Sane in an Insane World," and Hughes has been recommending it to teammates. Yeah. In addition to reading it himself, by the way, Rick at practice today, Teddy Bluger looked very close. Rick Tockett implying that we will see him on this trip. Once that happens, the Canucks will have some tough decisions to make in terms of the lineup, and that includes with you know Anthony Beauvillier, Niels Hoaglander, Sam Lafferty. All these guys are playing well. Who comes out, Rick? What do the Canucks do here? Okay. I'm gonna. I, I, we talked about uh, Hoaglander on the show today. Everyone's uh, impressed with his last game. Uh, remember the goal? Yeah. He creates a turnover, goes blue line to blue line, 100 miles an hour, picks up the puck in the slot and scores. But here's my problem with Hoaglander right now. He's, he's stuck at eight, nine minutes. I need more minutes for that guy. I know he's in a fourth ro- uh, fourth line role, but how does he get more minutes? Uh, there's still something missing there where Tockett is not 100%. Uh, the trust level's not there because the minutes would go up, Thomas and Jamie. But he's still stuck in eight nine minutes i don't like that i think they got to find a way to get that kid more minutes but how much winning how much is donnie rick how much of that is just that he doesn't play special teams though right because you look at it and you know andre kuzmenko's down below 10 minutes five on five pretty regularly right but his total minutes are up there because he gets all the time on power play one you know hoaglander doesn't figure on either special teams unit but i think if you look at the five on five minutes it's yeah he's playing kind of bottom six five on five minutes right now Okay, but what I'm trying to get at, Jamie, is he's a second-round pick. He wasn't drafted to be in the on the fourth line. And you got a guy named Di Giuseppe who not only is on the second line, but is holding his spot. There's a million guys that go on the second line, and then the next day... So you're saying put Hoaglander no, in, in the top No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he was drafted as a skilled guy. I'd like to see him get more minutes to be that skilled guy. But we live in a world where Phil Di Giuseppe, who's been an American Hockey League guy all his life, he's the lowest-paid top-six guy in the NHL and I give him credit for that. So what are you saying? That's wrong? They're, they're not w- saying it's wrong, Don. I'm winning. just saying we live in a world where the Canucks got a top six, top six guy making seven seventy five. But I'm just saying if they can increase Hoaglander's minutes, that's all I'm saying. This that's is a good – well, a- they, they have to also – yeah, it's a good thing. It's a pleasant problem. Yeah, yeah this is a, this is a first right. world or like a, a playoff team problem, right? Hey, we've got this young player who has yeah. more upside, but he's stuck in our bottom six right now. Isn't this – this is so much more yeah. fun well, I, I than just, the opposite. I want. I just wonder how they're going to make room for Jack Stadnika on yeah. defense. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the big question, isn't it? Hey, why don't you get I, your glasses checked, Drance? Oh man, I honestly, I, I literally was about to like walk uh, uh, to the other side of the rink, and I was thinking, man, should I just pull out my binoculars? Like, am I too proud to pull out my binoculars? The answer is yes. I was too proud to pull out my binoculars. Not too, pr- <laughs> not too proud to ask. This the is one of those manager, moments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that was impressive. This is one of those moments where you, you, and Jim Robson used to talk about this. I'm going old man here. Just give me a second here. <laughs> uh, Let's go. Uh, where you wish the players, you, the players didn't wear helmets anymore. Yeah. So you could tell, you know, mm. that's the red-haired guy, that's the bald <laughs> guy. That's uh, but now they all kind of there's a generic uh, uh, look to them. So I'm defending you there, especially hey, with uh, the visors. Thomas, how are right? they handling? There you go. Yeah. Yeah, but Thomas, how are they handling the goaltenders? Uh, They've got three games coming up here in four nights. Yeah, Rick Tockett saying after practice that 
you know, this isn't about game to game. This isn't about looking at what gives you them the best chance to win in Toronto. They, they've got a plan here. They've got a plan. It's long established, yeah. and that's going to dictate uh, what they do. Honestly, you know, talk it wouldn't commit one way or the other. You don't expect a head coach mm. to show his cards this early. You know, you, you don't confirm a starter the day before a game, typically. Um, so, you know, we'll find out tomorrow. But honestly, reading between the lines, like, DeSmith's for sure starting one of these three. And I I think he might start two. Like, reading between the lines of Talkett's answer mm. uh, to me and Ian McIntyre following practice today, like, my, my guess would be that we're going to see DeSmith start two of these games um, as opposed to just three. But we will oh, wow. actually see how that plays wow. out. You know, obviously, obviously that could be uh, me reading the tea leaves wrong. I can tell you he'll get one. But, but my gut, just my gut feeling, Rick, says he'll play two. And... Demko was out early with Bluger, was he not, uh, Thomas, today? Uh, he was out early with that? Mark Friedman. Uh, nothing. Uh, Demko is okay. always out half an hour early uh, working through, um, you know, put, going through the motions, going through his uh, routine with Ian Clark. It's a pretty demanding routine, by the way. Uh, that regiment looks difficult. Uh, really a lot of positioning, like a lot of fast moving into position, but they go through it. It's, it's a it's a ritual at this point. Every single on-ice session, Demko's on the ice 20 to 30 minutes before everyone else. Rick, you mentioned earlier. We had uh, Dan Woodley. Uh, guys. Yeah. Uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Dan uh, Woodley? <laughs> we had Sorry, Dan why Woodley? Dan no, Woodley Kevin, come Kevin, up? Kevin, Kevin Wood. No. Yeah. Da, we da, had Kevin Dan Woodley. Woodley. I, I, yeah. <laughs> no, no, Dan is a... <laughs> <laughs> Dan Woodley's a former Canuck draft pick. He, of he was a bust. Let's be honest. No, but, I, I, all no, no, no. no okay, yeah. but that's but, why I know my Canucks from the '80s. Yeah, I but actually, you don't know Kevin. Apparently, <laughs> he lives in White Rock. He's my neighbor. Listen, <laughs> who Dan? No, Kevin. Not Dan. Dan Woodley. I don't, I don't know where he is right now. I think he's coaching in Michigan. But listen to me. Can former I finish Portland my Winter thoughts? Hawk. Kevin Woodley, good guy, White Rock guy, goalie expert. Uh, 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 Jamie and uh, Thomas. He was raving about. Just how the structure and everything is helping uh, Demko, a good backup, more rest. Uh, Canucks are managing their goalies better than last year. They don't have to overplay Demko. Um, it's just uh, uh, when it comes to between the pipes, uh, guys, it, it's looking very, very good for these guys. Well, and now because they have the lead, right, or they lead in the standings, they can be yeah. uh, they can be more cautious with how they use them. They can get them more rest. And Rick, you know, you mentioned uh, off the top of our our chat here, like nobody, certainly not us in the media, but even internally, nobody predicted this sort of start. Do you have a sense? Has, uh -uh. Is Canucks management looking at this, and has it changed what they want to do or the timeline, what they want to add? Have you know, as you said, they didn't, they weren't necessarily expecting this, but has it pointed them in a in a different direction at all now that they've seen this start? No, they're still out there trying to create cap space. They're still in on Ethan Bear big time. If uh, uh, when that comes down to signing that uh, signing that guy, they'll be in the mix 150 percent. They're still trying to move some bodies around, try to see if they can get some cap relief. Donnie and I talked about, you know, Calgary's got a lot of UFA defensemen, uh, Canucks, uh, you know, Zadarov, uh, uh, Tanev, those guys. Uh, you know, there's well, interest. The, sorry, huh? sorry, Rick, but the <laughs> the other thing we brought up today. Oh. Is, uh, uh, other than Dan Woodley, <laughs> the other thing we uh, uh, brought brought up today was because Rick Tockett has gone out of his way to praise him on two occasions in the last week or so yeah. is the possibility of extending Tyler Myers on that on that right side. And you look at his his minutes and Tockett's praise, and uh, we just we threw it out there today. And shockingly, 
uh, in, our, in our inbox, a lot of people agreed that hey, maybe that at the very least is a possibility that you never would have thought of, say, Abs- two, two, two and a half weeks ago. Absolutely. What do you guys think about extending Myers if they can't, you know, capital letters can't, uh, go out and get other defensemen? If term and money I is mean, right, I'm open to it. But I, I don't. I don't think you'd want to do more than a year with him at his age. But I mean, what? It, what yeah, like, does anything speak more to how good things are going than the fact that you guys are floating extending <laughs> Tyler Myers and people are people are into it? Like two weeks ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Well, I, I thought it'd be ninety percent against, but it wasn't. <laughs> a lot of people are okay. A lot of a lot of people are okay, guys, for a few reasons: uh, short term deal, low AAV. Uh, He'll be third pair. You shorten his minutes. This coaching staff is—they've been. We what have we seen with this coaching staff? Great teachers, mm. you know. And they got two stud defensemen as assistant coaches that can work with the guy every day. I mean, you know what? On a short deal, Willander. What is Willander? Two, three years away. Maybe a stopgap till Willander's ready. Tyler Myers on the third pair does not hurt you. Showing us again, uh, I definitely think he, he can play a role on a good team, and maybe the Canucks now are that good team hey by the way can we we just come back to dan woodley second and i'm serious i'm so serious about this Mm -hmm. because dan woodley dan woodley we got to remember was the pick that the canucks um could have given up for cam neely right like that would have been as part of the cam neely exchange the boston bruins had the option of using the pick in 86 or 87 woodley was the pick in 86 boston made the decision to defer the pick with Woodley on the board and Canucks general manager Jack Gordon at the time, the immortal quote was, I can't believe Boston would pass up on a talent like Dan Woodley. <laughs> and they got Glenn they got Glenn Wesley instead. The next year. And that worked yep. out that worked out to just fine. And people forget it wasn't just giving up Cam Neely, they also gave up a fir- first rounder. Barry oh Peterson was a 100 point center. Oh. Unfortunately, Rick Middleton didn't come with him to the yeah. Vancouver. Okay. Who was, was, was part of, Barry was good here. Who which, he wasn't a which, Hall of de- which defenseman went two picks after Dan Woodley in that draft? Oh no, um, Al McKinnis. I'm going to go Leach. Brian Leach. Donnie's got oh, hold it. On a sec. I got Leach. it. I got it. Let me let me put my thinking cap on. Hold on a sec. Brian Leach. <laughs> But 20 seconds behind. Brian Leach. Brian Leach. Brian Leach. Uh, And the only reason I remember that is because it it, it was brought up uh, in 94. Yeah. When Brian Leach ended up winning a Conn Smythe trophy for the Rangers. That's a tough one. Okay, so 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 are we going to go back and look at the Libor Polisak pick now? You're the Come one. Come on, you brought up Dan Woodley, uh, Jason Herter. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to oh, criticize man. with the team now, Rick. We got to go back to the '80s to find stuff to be negative about. They're playing too well right <laughs> hey, now. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, what, what are you, you guys do? better uh, take your positivity pills. They're nine two and one. Nine two and one. <laughs> And 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 full value for it. This isn't smoke and mirrors, boys. Yep. I think this team's nope. whale team good. Whale team whale, good, as we're saying good, on Connects yeah. Talks that's, these that's days. The, somebody texted oh, in whale team yeah, good okay. to our show. It's uh, it's our catchphrase now because they're playing well. Uh, let's hope it continues <laughs> out east in Canada. And the eastern media gets to see what this team uh, can do. Uh, thanks yeah. for doing this, fellas. We'll, uh, we'll catch up next week. Lots of fun. Thanks, guys. Always fun, guys. Later. Always a pleasure. That is uh, Rick Dollywall and Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV every day, 10 to noon. You can check them out, uh, and they join us here on the crossover. And uh, all I'll say is uh, to the people in the inbox, 
uh, wondering if the fireworks display was canceled. Uh, you know, hey, that happens. That happens sometimes. But uh, still always fun to uh, to catch up with Donnie and Dolly and uh, good chat with those fellas. Lots to get into from some of the things uh, Dolly Wall was mentioning with us, but also on his show earlier about what the Canucks might be looking to do, the Garland situation, Beauvillier's name out there on the trade market. We can get into that and continue to look ahead to the Canucks uh, Eastern Canadian road trip that starts tomorrow. Lots more Canucks talk coming up here. It is Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber.com. Get your thoughts in. Uh, our guy Jason Bukla is going to join us at 1 o'clock, get his thoughts on the Canucks and some of their uh, Canadian opponents that they have in the next three games here. Uh, I did want to mention, though, Drancer, the tragedy that happened last night, which is that Philly could not hold up their end of the bargain and beat the lowly San Jose Sharks. They give the Sharks their first win of the season, which means uh, Edmonton will not have the opportunity to do the same on Thursday, which is very sad. Very, very sad. But as you say, now they Trag- can ca- now they can catch Edmonton in the standings. It's a tragedy, though. It was, I mean, the potential for comedy was just through the It was the off roof the chart. On Thursday night. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it will be funny if we wake up on Friday and the Edmonton Oilers are tied with the San Jose Sharks, a team that we've spent weeks talking about as the worst. Historically bad. Um, historically bad. But, like, not nearly as funny as them dealing, you know, um, as the Oilers being the team in, in the midst of a nightmare start to deal the Sharks, you know, or to be dealt yeah. Uh, the first victory by the Sharks. Um, look, also, though, at the end of the day, it would have been anticlimactic because Edmonton's going to blow the doors off. You would think so. You would certainly hope so, given where they are. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're going to unleash holy hell on that team. Come on. Well, especially now San, Jose, San Jose is fat and happy after getting the win, right? <laughs> I'm sure they're not making a trade today, too. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I'm really they, You know what? They, see... they owed it to the Sharks players to reward them for the win, Trancer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> the, uh, yeah, look, the, the Canucks, let's, coming back to the Canucks, you know, another, another business-like practice. I mean, you know, when I'm trying to think about this team, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to think about what's happened here, right? I keep coming back to that practice in in Nashville, and we talked about it the Monday afterwards, right? And so here's the context where, like, I get to that practice in the wee hours of the morning. I've traveled early. I, you know, I was out the night before. I'd written that Quinn Hughes piece. Everyone on Twitter was dunking on my colleagues because of it. Um, it was just sort of a heady day for me. <laughs> and I show up at this practice, and the underlying 
facts of this practice are as follows. The Canucks pulled off a dramatic win in Florida the night before mm-hmm. and then landed, uh, you know, a three-hour flight, but you lose an hour, right? So you get to Nashville at midnight off a win, and you have two game, two days game, including a man team day off on the Monday. I mean, that's a recipe for a team to have some fun. And I show up to that Sunday practice expecting a sweated out practice, by which I mean, let's make sure, let's keep the boys honest and get them a sweat this morning type practice. Like that was the sort of vibe I thought. I thought it was going to be one of the guiltiest practices of the year. And I show up and instead it's this like pacey, hyper competitive, lots of laughs, like Adam Foote cracking the team up, you know, relatively lengthy 50 minute practice. Like they really went hard. And, and it was so business-like in the commentary from the club. It really, it really took me back. And when I think about that moment, you know, because going into that game against Nashville, I was talking about it. I was like, look, like, you know, I don't know if anything, but that was a pretty impressive practice from, from my eyes watching. Mm-hmm. Like, I was pretty impressed with the mentality on display. And then they put in their performance. And I think ever since that game, our tone has rightly been one of cautious optimism. Like it, it felt like a template win that they were able to build off of. And, and, you know, something, my spidey sense, something tells me that there was something that happened. Not, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but whether it was, you know, what the team did in terms of a team outing or what was said, or, you know, how the, how it was approached. Like there was something different about the the vibes at that practice. And there's been something different about this team since that first predators game. That to me is is like the inflection point on which this dream start has now been built, and and I've I've been reflecting about it, and I probably just need to go do the work in the room and like ask six guys about it. Like, hey, hey, man, just tell me what happened. <laughs> tell me, tell me what happened. Like, th- and they might think it's nothing, you know, but but there's something there. I'm I'm certain of it because this team's just been flying, flying since then, and and it's not you know, just the Demko saves. It's not just the Quinn Hughes, Bobby Orr comparisons, which as Donnie points out are now factually just relevant. Purely factual. Um, yeah. Just, just the facts. Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the solidity, right? Like it's the substance behind the way this team's playing that stands out to me since that moment. And I, I you know, I'm very curious to pick at that particular scab. Well, it's it's an interesting point too about the the professionalism idea, right? And we heard talk it go to that on that road trip, right? Like we need to have a professional business like game here. That's what this particular moment requires and they went out and did it in that Nashville game and, you know, all of the stuff outside of the games, right? Your practice habits and the way you're talking about your team and the way you carry yourself, it only matters if you're also getting it done in the games. And I think the fact that they are, it makes it interesting to consider some of that outside stuff. And I look at, you know, we've talked so much about Rick Tockett's communication style and how honest he is. And he can kind of, you know, he doesn't, he, he he's up front and he can be critical without being over the top and he can be positive without being over the top, right? And, you know, JT Miller was on with, uh, with Halford and Bruff this morning and I I thought it was really interesting because they asked him just about hey how much are you enjoying the good start and it would have been so easy for JT to go completely to the you know no I'm so serious and oh no it doesn't mean anything we haven't proved anything yet but what he said was 
hey, look, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is a really nice change after the last years. Yeah, we are enjoying it, but we also recognize that we've got a long way to go. And I thought that was, it seemed very talkative to me, where you aren't trying to, like, go so far to pretending that you're this, like, emotionless robot and, you know, being 9-2-1 doesn't mean anything to you. You're able to acknowledge it while also acknowledging the work you have to do, right? And so I think it gets to that that professionalism. We're seeing that start to come through, not just in the games, but in a lot of other areas for this team as well. Well, and, and a lot of people in hockey will say a team takes on the personality of their head coach or their best player. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm struck, like I, I'm struck by the fact that Quinn Hughes and his brother, because Jack's also been reading, you know, that this book written by Tom Brady's performance coach. Yeah. You know, like the, the whole thesis of the book, control what's controllable, right? Control what's controllable. It's it's like the sports version or the or the inside performance version of, you know, um, uh, of like, don't get too high, don't get too low. Focus on what you can tr- control to succeed. Um, yeah, there's there's something up like there's just something up with this team. And, and you know, it, it's hard to escape this sense that whether it's Hughes, whether it's Talkit, whether it's an awful lot of things all hitting at once, uh, things are coming together. By the way, I did ask Talkit today about the five-man unit, the five-man okay. checking unit that they're using, and he noted that the idea was born in part from something that Mike Sullivan started to do when Sullivan took over from Mike Johnston in Pittsburgh. And, of course, Rick Talkit was an assistant coach on that bench, so he had a front-row seat to it. And when Sullivan came in, one of the big changes he made deployment-wise started self-matching Crosby Latang. And his idea was, you know, l- let's do this against tough matchups with Miller and Hughes. And 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 then he joked that, you know, thankfully Adam Foote agrees with me on it. <laughs> um so uh so a- an interesting wrinkle from the Canucks head coach and an interesting explanation. Um, you know, they say it's a copycat league, but but sometimes it's useful to be able to dig into a bag of tricks, you know, things you've seen, uh, patterns that, that effectively repeat themselves. The idea of helping your, you know, matchup centerman out with, with an elite puck mover to help them, you know, n- not necessarily check in the old fashioned way, but actually generate possession against the opponent's best. To players. have the puck. And then in this analogy, you know, Elias Pettersson slides into the Evgeny Malkin role, right? Where it's like, okay, you're have, you're playing a bit of a different role, but you're you're still such an elite player. Even if you're not out there with Quinn Hughes, we feel pretty good about our chances against team's second lines or or second best lines. As, as totally. Yeah. yeah um, and, and I do still think there's, I do still think, and, and you know, Talkit wouldn't have admitted this, and I, I did sort of ask it, but tr- I tried to ask it as politely as I could. Like, I do still think there's a, a, an element of insulation going on. Like, I do think this is a way, too, of hiding the extent to which Vancouver's defensive depth is still a, a weak point, a weak, like a roster construction weak point. I don't think that should be controversial. The team's having success despite it, but, um, you know, I, I still think as a as a head coach looking at a whiteboard or as a management team considering your moves and your depth like there's a reason we keep hearing about the club looking for uh, additional help on the right side of their defense right well it's almost like if you're not playing Quinn Hughes 
in the matchup minutes, which is also when JT Miller is on the ice. But if you're if you don't have Hughes and Hronick out there, that means you have one of Mark Friedman or the Tyler Myers Carson Susie pair out there in matchup minutes, right? So it is yeah. a, it, it, like I, it is a really good decision, and the degree to which they've been stuck together, I think, is really interesting. But you look at the other options, and you're like, okay, yeah, I can see pretty easily why you do, would decide to go with Hughes and Hronick in that role. It's not as if you have a second pair that's tailor made to go out there and play uh, tough matchup minutes behind them. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the uh, I did want to get into uh, some of what uh, Rick Dollywell had to say, you know, earlier on his show, right about what he's hearing, what the Canucks are, are trying to do. And you know, one of the things he said was, "Hey, look, su- surprise! With the team nine two and one, they're not feeling as much pressure to move Connor Garland right now." And he mentioned he's heard Anthony Mobilier's name out there on the trade market. But, you know, unsurprisingly, as much as the team would still like to maybe move some contracts, free up room to pursue Ethan Bear, get a right shot defenseman, they're in a much less, uh, you know, a, a much less urgent mode now than maybe they were earlier in the season. And it's really striking to me, Drance, like how many of the things we're talking about today are a byproduct of this team winning, right? From the yes. difficult the difficult decision of someone coming out of the lineup to the way they can use Casey DeSmith as the backup and maybe give him two of these three games to all of a sudden looking at a situation where you know you had given an agent permission to go seek a trade because you really wanted to move a player not that long ago and now because of what your team is doing on the ice you're able to kind of step back and be a little bit more cautious. And I think the big thing for me, I mean, two takeaways. One, winning just changes everything about how your organization is able to function. And it gives you so much more leeway and so much more ability to be patient and really considering, really consider what you're doing. And then I do think, you know, I asked Rick this and he kind of said, no, they haven't really changed their mindset that much. But I think we're probably getting out of the addition by subtraction era of movements on this roster, right? Like, I don't, I don't think we're looking at this and saying, oh, man, because it wasn't that long ago where it was, you know, hey, you just got to move money. And even if it's a problem contract for a problem contract, you got to shake things up. You got to just bring in a new body and give it a different look. Now I think you can kind of, as much as you still do want to create cap space, I think you can leave that concept behind a little bit and start thinking about, what's an impact move we can make, right? And and, and rather than right. moving Connor Garland just for the sake of moving Connor Garland to say that we've shuffled things up to change the mix a little bit, now we can actually be really considerate. And if there's an impact move, if there's something that moves the needle for us, we can do it, but we don't feel this pressure to change things for the sake of making change. No, and I actually really like what they've got going right now with that garland Suter combo. I mean... You know, Joshua, I think, is a nice stylistic fit with them. Um, but Garland is the driver on that line. Like, Suter mm-hmm. is a good defensive player, and he's doing solid yeoman's work. You know, full credit to him. But I, I do think, fundamentally, you got to proportion the lion's share of the credit, credit to Garland for how that line drives. And by the way, the, the ice time reflects it. Like, Garland plays a lot late. Garland plays when this team is uh, leading. You know, like, leading late in narrow games. Like, um you know, he's played really well and, and winning solves a lot, right? So I, I think I think using that magic, tapping into that magic, this is going to be an interesting thing. Like, this is going to be an interesting factor to watch because it doesn't just apply to Connor Garland's situation. Um, it also applies to Pettersons, right? It also applies to Phillips. Um, 
And this was something I was saying, by the way, when the Canucks left the bubble, right? And they weren't holding extension talks with Pedersen and Hughes. was like, don't miss those moments where you're a destination. Mm. You know, like this team missed that moment because of budgetary concerns as a result of the pandemic. The last time they were super relevant. Well, it's come again. It's come again with a new management team. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Jim Rutherford, who's been around you know, a, an awful long time and has seen just about everything you can see in this business is is hyper aware of it. Uh, there are unique opportunities that, that could open up as a result of the vibe, right? Uh, ride that, surf that. Don't miss it. Don't miss that wave. Yeah, it's a good point about, and again, just how winning changes so much. It makes everything you're trying to do a little bit easier, right? And, you know, we've even had questions like West End Mike texts in here, is now a chance to sell high on Tyler Myers. And I've seen similar people say things like, hey, can you all of a sudden trade Brock Besser if you want? But you know, look, those are yeah, th- but don't. That's the thing. Don't your, team's, your team's playing really well, and he's been a vital part of it, right? Like the whole idea yeah. of trading Brock Besser, again, this is why we're still, I, I think some people are still kind of stuck in the addition by subtraction thing. Like the whole logic of trading Brock Besser was you didn't think you were going to get value on the contract, right? You didn't think you were going to get value. It's not that he was a terrible player, that you would improve your team just by virtue of losing the player. It was you didn't think he was going to live up to the contract, but he's living up to the contract now. <laughs> He's more than living up to the contract. Well, so great. Keep him. I mean, I, I guess they can see it, too, if the club believes uh, in, in some meaningful sense that he's not a stylistic fit with where they want to go. You know, I, I mean, the logic of the three-year compromise deal, like when we were talking a lot and I was sort of v- suggesting that I thought a three-year compromise deal was the right outcome here, you know, it was predicated on two things that didn't happen last season. Like one of them was – you need, you know, you're doing this effectively to manage a, a brutal QO situation that has kind of killed his, killed your leverage in talks, and you need to rehabilitate his value. What's the best way to do that? Um, a multi-year deal uh, that's like ideally front-loaded. Club instead did straight money, but nonetheless, and then and then feed him power play opportunities, like feed him power play opportunities, uh, so that you have a chance to to resuscitate his value. Well, I, I definitely think they're on pace now to resuscitate his value as an asset. And yet I don't think you need to make the stylistic leap to like this guy's surplus to requirements because, you know, any concern you would have had about Besser two years ago, whether it's defensive play or, you know, is the power play going to be at its best if he's involved? Like, where does he fit in? Um, You know, is he fast enough to, to fit the template of, of how Jim Rutherford wants his teams to play? Like, well, now he's quicker, right? Yeah. And now, now he's cooking on the power play. Like, I think he's the unsung hero of Vancouver five on four. I mean, it, it's it's it seems wild to say, but I think he's the most comfortable in the rotation system they've set up of the of the five forwards. You know, like I I think he's kind of been key to what they're doing. Like, I don't think he's just a bit player on the power play. I think he's a central driver on the power play. And that's wild given how dynamic, you know, Pedersen and Miller in particular are at driving five on four results, you know, in their own right. Like Besser's not, Besser's not just there benefiting from those touches. He's, he's kind of the straw that stirs it right now. It's it's wild. And even look, we all know, you know, Jim Rutherford and he likes speedy wingers, right? We've seen that over his career and speedy or big and Besser does ideally both. Yeah. But. Even if he's not a perfect, like, you know, archetypal winger in Jim Rutherford's mind's eye, 
he's also a part of like the team's identity line right now that's doing so much of the heavy lifting and doing so much yep. of what Rick Tockett is preaching. So maybe he's not how you would design your ideal winger in a lab, but he's work. You can't say that he's not fitting Tockett style hockey or the style of hockey your team wants to play. He's a part of the key line driving so many of those things. So I don't think there really is the stylistic argument to like, ah, you know what? Good player, but just no. doesn't really fit. He's fitting. He's fitting and he's clicking and he's producing right now. And look, I'm not saying he's untouchable all of a sudden or anything, or you always consider trades if if there's a logic behind them. But uh, I think the idea of, oh, strike while the iron is hot and try to sell high. Look, if you if this team was yeah. in like asset management mode, then that would make sense. But I think you have to at least consider that there that the way you should be approaching this season isn't how do we increase our our asset count? It's how do we do some damage? How do we do some damage in April and May? And Brock Besser can be a part of that. Yeah, at the very least, I don't think you should be considering the break glass stuff, which would be like retaining on Garland. Yeah. Right? Like those are those are the things you consider when you really need to reset the decks. And I mean, I, I still think that this team this should be in the mode where, like, for example, um, you know, the sell high on Besser idea, I don't think should be laughed off. I wouldn't recommend it because I think he's actually good. The the Garland retention thing, I, I think, you know, the, the that would have been a mistake anyway. And to hear that the club might be moving away from that, that's great news. And then lastly, because I know we got to go to break, you know, I, I still think for all of those points, this club should be deeply, deeply cautious. Um, you know, should either of their like key expiring UFAs, Gar uh, whether it's, sorry, Beauvillier or Myers, um, have meaningful value at the trade deadline, like those are still moves they should do if they're not doing, you know, more affordable, economical, short-term extensions with those players. Uh, they still need to be mindful of managing their assets in that arena. And based on their MO, I I'd bet they agree. We will take a break. Jason Bukla from Sportsnet will join us up next. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what the Canucks are doing right now and some of the other Canadian teams as well. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now joining us on the phone, he's an NHL, NHL analyst for Sportsnet and a, a longtime former NHL scout. He's our guy, Jason Bukla. Jason, thank you as always, man. How are you doing? Fantastic, fellas. How's it going today? Uh, it's going very well out here. We're having a lot of fun watching and covering the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks right now. And uh, their most recent game, very, very entertaining 6-2 win against the Oilers. And it sparked a bit of a debate, not just here in Vancouver, but really all across the league. Okay, the Canucks are off to this hot start. How sustainable is it? Are they actually good? 
Are they going to be good for the rest of this season? What do you think? Do you do you see not that they're going to keep winning like this? We all we all understand that's not going to happen. But do you see the signs that this can be a sustainably good team for the rest of the year? I really do. Yeah, I really do. I think they've evolved. I think that uh, you know when I watch the Canucks every night now that I watch the Canucks, um, even when they even when things break down. Let's just say that, you know, something breaks down in the offensive zone and they've got a track back and their and their effort off the puck. Like um, uh, specifically, I, you know, I, I wrote a story on sportsnet.ca and and uh, full transparency here. Like I was really uh, pumping the tires of the Canucks and uh, my friends in Toronto and the Toronto audience. Uh, apparently they don't like it when I poke the bear like that. So <laughs> I did not get some I did not get some favorable feedback on this end of the country. But the Canucks deserve it. fellas. like relentless compete. When I watch them play right now, the first thing that comes to mind for me personally is team game, but relentless compete. I love the way that they're pulling, uh, pulling the rope in the same direction for each other. It's, uh, it's fun to watch. And even when the game got a little nasty the other, the other night, like Edmonton was clearly becoming you know, unhinged. But uh, uh, I just feel like this group, uh, they got a good thing going. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about, I uh, think Drance made the point, you know, sometimes teams take on the personality of their head coach. And just when we see that, you know, that pushback and the, the professionalism, do you kind of get that sense that the team is really taking on the personality of, of Rick Tockett? They really do. I mean, he challenged them early, didn't he? You know, like, who do we think we are yeah. on that uh, that trip through Philly? And, and, and they responded almost to say that, you know, coach, this is what we are. You know, we, we hear what you're saying and, and we're, we're ready to go to another level. One thing that kind of stood out for me the other night, I, I thought it was interesting, is um, Demko, uh, you know that that play behind the net when he went to come out to play the puck and he kind of stood in the way, like a mm-hmm. semi-type of a play. Um, so uh, during the TV timeout, I believe it was, anyways, Demko's over getting a, a drink of water or whatever, and, and, and you know, talk comes over to him and says, you know, like, I, I can't challenge that. You know, you can read his lips on the bench. I can't challenge that. You basically picked him or you're in the way. Like, they've got this thing going on amongst the group. I know it doesn't sound like it's a very big thing, and maybe it's not, but I just see, like, these little subtle things of communication that are going on, and um, I'm really fond of it. I just uh, – I'm really digging the vibe. And you know what? They deserve it because – the three of us have had some conversations the last couple of years where let's be fair to everybody. It's been disjointed, right? There's been a lot of distractions. So if you're going to kick the dog, you know, occasionally when they're down, like also give them kudos when they're up. And and this team's fun to watch. They're taking on the persona of the coach. And um, I'll tell you, Vesna quality goaltending. It's like having a starting quarterback in the NFL, like Bill Belichick can't win a game all of a sudden, uh, but he sure looked good with Tom Brady back there. (laughs) Well, that's that's one of the interesting parts of, of this to me, Jason, is, you know, there's so many good stories and so many great individual performances. And yet, you know, you, you go check the and you can check Sport Logic, you can check ClearSight, you can check Natural Statric. But like Natural Statric has Demko having stopped 82 of 85 high danger shots <laughs> in all situations to open the season. I mean, how dominant is the level that he's at in the early part of this season right now for you? Well, they don't win the game the other night without that start that he provides. As, as we all know, yeah. uh, you have to start games on time. And whether that means that, you know, um, your checkers are shutting down Connor McDavid for his three, first three shifts of the game. You know what I mean? Like, 
after warm-up, you set that internal goal up in the room. It's like you're looking at your line mates. I'm the checker. This is my responsibility. We've gone through our daily meetings. These, this is what we have to do to be successful tonight. None of that matters if Thatcher Demko, when they're getting outshot, I believe, 19-2 to 2 in the early going, doesn't give them a chance to be in the game and make some big stops. So, I mean, they didn't allow the Edmonton Oilers to get up off the mat the other night, and a lot of it was due to the, the, the Demko, you know, specifically. And then, of course, in, in, in contrast, you go up the ice the other way, and as soon as Skinner lets one in and he's, you know, the team, you can feel them deflated and you can see the bad body language from the goaltender on the other end. Um, well, it's, it's, it's fun as it's been on this end to watch like some of the things, how Austin Matthews has evolved, not just with his goal scoring. He's done some other things. It's equally as enjoyable for me to watch like Quinn Hughes play. I could watch Quinn Hughes play every night, but watching Thatcher Demko make the saves he's making right now. It's awesome. It's great. Oh, I'm curious. Cause I had a chat with, uh, Rich McLeod today, uh, this morning, uh, of course, uh, Ryan and, and Mike McLeod's dad and uh, Quinn Hughes's GTHL coach uh, back in the day. And, I, I, you know, I was asking him about Quinn and moving a player who's like an undersized lefty at the age of 12 uh, back to defense. And I'm curious because you watch a lot of amateur players. That's your area of expertise. I'm curious if you've noticed you know, obviously we've all seen it at the NHL level over the last 15 years. The the skill set, the the way that defenders look, the stature of, of who's having success on NHL back ends has changed. Are you seeing that accelerate at the minor hockey level? Like, is there a, a, a Quinn Hughes effect, as it were, in terms of, of younger, smaller, skilled players uh, gravitating more frequently to the back end? Yeah, there there actually is. And I, you know, part of the reason I believe that, that we're seeing a lot of this evolve or evolve differently as, as the game has grown in different categories over the years, for example, taking the red line out several years ago, let's just use that as an example. So what you get now is more motion as you know, players are in motion a lot more. Um, there's way less physical contact in the game guys today than there ever has been in my, like I, we could run the numbers and, you know, maybe they come out similar to what it was 10 years ago. The optics tell me that the games attract me now. It's not as much as, not as much bump and grind. What it does is it opens up more space for these skill guys. And there is a wave of players coming through like this, like these, uh, these undersized uh, puck movers and, you know, as soon as you say that to me, I, I immediately, you know, I think back to, you know, even in Vancouver, they're like way back in the day when uh, Yerke Lume was playing for the Canucks, you know, and I always thought he was a transporter oh, yeah. of the puck back then. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and that was with a red line, but I always, I always took a shine to him. I like watching <laughs> him play the game. Um, Paul Coffey obviously was a whirling dervish, but the Quinn use these types of players. That's the next wave. I don't think, like, I think we're witnessing something, really special in Quinn Hughes. Like this is, he's going to be an anomaly yeah. no matter what, like the, let's not understate this, but uh, boy, oh boy, there's uh, there is, there's a lot more. I know this is, I'm getting long, but there's a lot more of that going on in the game at the grassroots level now. And defensemen are, they have the green light more than ever today than they have in the past to transport the puck on their own. 
Well, and JT Miller was on uh, was on our station earlier today, and he said, you know, the, he referred to Quinn Hughes as a cheat code, right? Because basically, as soon as it's on his stick uh, in the defensive zone, he's going to find a way to skate it out of trouble and get the team going the other way. And I think you're right that there's only so many people who can do what Quinn Hughes can do. But you know, I, I to to compare it to uh, to the NBA and Steph Curry started shooting all these threes from all over the place, and at when he started doing it, there weren't that many guys in the league who could do it but what happened was players in high school and college started to add that to their game and I wonder if there's going to be a similar impact where maybe there's only a handful of guys who can do what Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr can do right now in the NHL but as youth players see what they're capable of you're going to see to start start to see them work on that and you know in five years maybe we'll have a wave of guys uh, who maybe not quite at Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr's level but can ma- really make it more commonplace in the NHL. Yeah, I think I think it's very possible. I mean, you know, as we all know, these kids train differently today than they ever have. There's a lot. Like, if you identify yourself, so Quinn Hughes growing up, you know, you probably, his, his parents, his coaches, like you talk about the McLeod dad, they identify that, you know, geez, he's getting, uh, there's not enough space for him to operate in. He's undersized, but he's an elite skater. Let's move him into this position so he's got more space to operate um, I think that you're going to see that because the game has evolved and because these kids have these types of skill sets, coaches, parents, skating coaches, or even just the way they train, they're going to train themselves to be closer to these types of players. But listen, <laughs> like anybody who wants any of our listeners who think that they know who's a fantastic skater at the minor hockey legal or level or uh, in the WHL, I don't care what level breakdown tape in Europe nobody has the edge control that Quinn Hughes has. I don't mm. care. I, I've, I've scouted players around the world by the thousands. And I, his escapability from both sides is, is it's, it's like taller Cranston back in the day. The guy could be in the Olympics as a, phys, uh, a figure skater. He's outstanding. Uh, yeah, it's truly something to watch on a, on a nightly basis right now. Hey, you know, Jason, as we start to think about, okay, what the next few months of the regular season holds for this team and go from looking at them as, uh, you know, maybe if everything breaks right, they could make the playoffs to, hey, they really should make the playoffs now. As we start to look down the road a little bit, what would you, where do you see the areas where the Canucks could go out and add a key player or two to really improve uh, what they have going on right now? I think they've got adequate depth up front where they can replace a roster player with somebody from the minors. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, somebody could come up and play some serviceable minutes, whether it's a Mon or, you know, pot calls. And if he gets healthy, you know, these types of guys, at least in an energy role, like Neil's a Mon, he's not going to be, you know, uh, he's not going to produce a ton of offense. He's got a little bit of bump, but not a ton, but he plays quick enough, right guys. Like he's, he's got some pace to his game. So there's a role for guys like that on the back end though. I was breaking them down today because, well, I got a phone call from somebody else and I really wanted to nail down on some things like the Friedman pickup is interesting. 13, 28 at night, no special teams, the longevity of Cole at 21 minutes. Like, what do you guys think? Let me throw it back to you a little bit here. I don't see Cole at 21 minutes a night, hard minutes, even strength penalty kill, being able to sustain that necessarily for 82. I like Susie. I like his length. I think we need another right shot defenseman. We kind of touched on it last week, but, you know, I really do believe that, well, let me just go back into the archives. Like a Chris Tanya type of a player, that would be a nice fit on the back end on the right side. Take away some of the hard minutes from some of these other guys, but add an extra layer of uh, defensive coverage. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes sense. And Cole's been fantastic, but you're right. Over 82, does does a Cole Friedman second pair seems begin to show a little bit? I, I would expect they do, um, you know, to some extent anyway. So I think you're right. I think that second pair right-handed defenseman, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence, Jason, that every time the Canucks are in a trade room or it's like, the club would love to add a, a, another top four right-handed defenseman. It's like, A, so would everybody, but B, yeah, uh, for sure. That's what this team could use. I've broken down some film on, on different guys, too. A name that, that I'm kind of keeping an eye on in Philly is uh, Sean Walker. Like, he's he's affordable, and he's a bulldog. Like, he's not the tallest yeah. guy. He's built like a fire hydrant. But he, he adds a little bit of offense. He can track up and down the ice. Like, he can add an extra layer off the rush. But defensively, like, he blocks shots, and he's not at all easy to play uh, against. And he's, he's more affordable. I think he's around 2, I don't know, two five or something like that. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Yeah. But in comparison to some of the other guys you'd have to shop for, he's more affordable, which might uh, alleviate some pain somewhere else in the lineup. How's his mobility looked uh, coming off of that significant um, knee injury? Because last season, anyway, uh, I thought he looked like a different player. You're talking about like a longtime favorite of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, th- I thought his mobility was compromised when he returned from, uh, from that surgery a little bit last season. But as we know, two years on, players can often look pretty different, um, you know, as they, as they recover from some of those significant knee operations. Yeah, they adjust, right? You know, and, and the way that they recover yeah. nowadays is, is is really, really significant. You know, the tech technology behind the scenes helps that uh, recoveries as well. I have no issues. I have no issues with his agility, his mobility. Um, listen, he's not a twenty-three minute a night guy, so let's not let's not oversell it. But what I'm saying is that mm-hmm. at, with with Friedman at thirteen and a half, with no special teams. You had a guy who can be 17, 17 to 18 mm. and uh, take some pressure off on one of the penalty kill units or, or even in a pinch uh, play a really depth secondary role on, on a power play unit, which is not likely, but you get my drift. It, it, just, it just takes some pressure off somewhere else in the lineup. I have no issues with his pace or, uh, or the way he's playing. A few more minutes here with Sportsnet's Jason Bukla on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Canucks opponent tomorrow, Ottawa Senators. You know, it seems like every offseason we're waiting for them to take this step forward. Now, I know it's early. They've only played 10 games, but they do find themselves again at the bottom of the Atlantic Division standings. What do you see that's holding Ottawa back from taking that next step forward as a young team with a lot of talent on it? You know, I'm going to take a page out of Connor McDavid's uh, book the uh, the other night. You know, like death by a thousand yeah. cuts type of a thing. And um, the, the the franchise. Let's just start there. Like the franchise um, in the past has kind of gone in its own way with a lot of outside noise for a variety of reasons. Uh, positive momentum, obviously, with the new owner. Then, of course, you know the Pinto thing, and then you know the situation with Pierre. Um, so. I feel like they're kind of getting in their own way a little bit, but in terms of between the whistles, um, you know, they just need to do things better at the right time. So in the past, you know, even in our discussions, we talked about the the Canucks lineup. You look at them on paper, even last year, and you're like, how can they not be better than this? You know, like we've had those days, how can we not be better than this? And, but they got in their own way or they found a way to uh, take a dump penalty or they didn't get a stop or they got an untimely injury. 
all those things are going on in Ottawa. And, you know, uh, you know, the captain came out. He wasn't happy with them getting booed off the ice the other day. I thought it was great leadership. Um, you know, he's trying to keep it together in the room, support the coach, all those kinds of things. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is, as we all know, is that it's expensive for uh, a mom and dad to take their two kids to an NHL game. And if you're dropping 800 bucks in the bucket, including parking a bag of chips and a pop, you can boo all you want as far as I'm concerned. So, um, <laughs> But they need more guys. They need more consistency. But I feel I still trust that they're on the cusp of it. If they can eliminate the outside noise, I just wish that they could just have more structure, continuity, and just play the game between the whistles. It, it just seems like there's always so many moving parts that gets inside the head of the dressing room. And uh, Jason, obviously, then they go on to uh, to Toronto play the Leafs on Saturday. Always a ton of attention and excitement for that game. You mentioned earlier you have the piece up at Sportsnet.ca today uh, that does a fair amount of uh, of pumping the tires of the Canucks. And the great thing about the piece for our listeners who haven't had a chance to check it out, you're analyzing what's gone wrong for the Leafs, really, or or the state of their team, and using the Canucks and the Golden Knights as a measuring stick to compare them to. And it's a very favorable comparison for the Canucks. So that should make all of our listeners really excited to go check out the piece. It's a good one. I enjoyed it as well. But for the Leafs, you know, there's been this expectation that they'll continue to be Stanley Cup contenders or at least look like it. They haven't really yet this year. Is there a path forward for them to kind of get back into that status uh, or that tier of teams this season? Well, they need to find some secondary scoring. I mean, the beauty of the Canucks and the Golden Knights, I mean, obviously the Golden Knights, you know, that's the, that's the level, right? Like, that's, that's the target. Um, but if you look at what the Canucks do very well, besides identifying, as we discussed as a team, their relentless compete, et cetera, their secondary scoring is very good. You know, like uh, even bringing Lafferty in to, to play the role that he's played, you know, that's a nice little level there. Uh, the Leafs have been struggling with that. Their, uh, their consistency and continuity throughout the middle of the lineup Bertuzzi's uh, not producing offense. Domi's not really producing offense. The bump and grind with their team hasn't gone to another level the way that, uh, you know, they were supposedly going to go to in the, uh, in, at the end of the summer. And, and Reeves only played, you know, I think four minutes the other night. So to make matters worse, they, they aren't a team with their cap situation that they can, they can have a guy like Reeves in and out of the lineup right now because they can't afford it. So um, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a great hockey team. They are. They're good. They're going to make the playoffs. But they don't have a Thatcher Demko in net, okay? They don't have the secondary scoring yet. They're working on that, and it might, they might find that. But, um, you know, I, I did it in a 12-game segment. This is where the, I got in a lot of trouble with the market. Like, people don't understand. A fan of the game looks at the comeback against Tampa and says, oh, let's play in the parade route. That's not realistic, fellas. Like, over 12 games, what have we done well? What have we done poorly? Is there some consistencies that I, as a scout, can grab hold of? When I compare them to Vancouver Canucks, I can grab hold of a whole bunch of categories that are way more consistent and reliable than the Leafs to this point in time. Will it play out differently by the end of the year? Possibly. But in this segment, the Leafs' goaltending hasn't been as good. They don't have the defensive uh, depth um, right now that the Canucks have, and they haven't been getting the secondary scoring. Their record's fine. But uh, for me today, as I sit here, Vancouver is a more trustworthy team, and that's just a fact. Yeah, they look slow on the back end and have too many one-dimensional forwards. Like, And I don't mean the guys who you, people usually mean when they say the Leafs have too many one-dimensional forwards. Like, feels like they went all in on grabbing one-dimensional offensive forwards. Like, who thought that was this team's problem, Jason? Yeah, the one thing I will say, though, is that 
um, similar to like Huberto in, in Calgary. And listen, he, he's not played well at all. And I, I'm not going to sit here and support that. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried as long as I can. I've been waiting. Um, Bertuzzi, he's actually done some very good things that people to the naked eye don't recognize. Like he's been first on the forecheck, extended some plays. There's been late arrivals uh, in support. Um, you know, Domi on the wing, he's been pedestrian. He was better at center the other night. That's not sustainable. Yarn Crook is a one. That's that's not realistic. We all know that. So I don't know. I just feel like we're they're, they're still piecing the puzzle together there. Um, I, I don't. You know, I like them, but I don't love them. And again, when I I don't want to just I don't want to overhype the Vancouver Canucks, but when I look at them and the way that they're structured and they're competing, and I can identify better with the Canucks right now and. Uh, it's just it's just a better looking sequence through the first segment of the year. Uh, Jason, if they run you out of Toronto, you you have a home out here with with that kind of talk. People are <laughs> people are stoked to hear it, man. So we we appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll chat next week. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, and I'll let you know if I've been run out of town and I'm looking for a couch transfer. Okay, <laughs> keep hey, us posted. Hey, and books, books. Before you yeah. go, I'm going to Kitchener. I'm going to go watch the Rangers play on Friday. Uh, get some, get a live viewing of Hunter Brustevich. Um, wh- where, wh- what do I do? Give me, give me your Kitchener shortlist. What should I hit in Kitchener? Buddy, off the air. I'm texting you up. We're going to hook up. We'll, we'll, I'll take care of you. All time. All time. This is not for our listeners to be a part of. I'm going to text you off the air. And we'll, uh, now, now I just changed my schedule. So thanks for the heads up. <laughs> I love it. Have a good one, man. Thanks for doing this. All right, boys. Take care. That is Jason Buchel, a former longtime NHL scout, now a Sportsnet NHL analyst. Uh, Drance and Buchla painting the town red in Kitchener. Very exciting uh, on Friday. It's but been a while. Uh, always great stuff uh, for uh, with Jason Buchla. And as I said, I'm not joking. If you're looking for some like Leafs Schadenfreude, literally a piece breaking down what's gone wrong for the Leafs in direct comparison to how it's all gone right for the Canucks up at sportsnet.ca from, from our guy Jason right now. So make sure you go check that out. Just before we go to break, some uh, some interesting news from Dan Riccio. Trevor Linden going to be on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah today on Sportsnet 650. So make sure you tune into that again. Canucks icon, former president Trevor Linden will be on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah right here on Sportsnet 650 later today. One more segment for us coming up. We'll hear from Rick Tockett. We'll take your texts. We'll continue to look ahead to the road trip for the Canucks. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com. The Canucks are, of course, out east. They're going to play the Senators tomorrow. They practiced in Ottawa today. Let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, who talks to the media after that practice. We take that approach. We just, you know, honestly, I know we keep talking. Every day is a new day to us, and, uh, you know, these road trips are tough. You know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, you got to play that road game, as you call it, um, and that's why we try to stay within ourselves on these, in these road trips. Do you feel like the way you guys have been playing uh, leads to sustainable uh, type of hockey for wins, do you think? Have you seen... I mean, I, I think if we do the same, keep playing the consistent way, I think you get good results. So whether you win or lose, I mean, I, you know, we don't know the result, but um, you can sustain stuff. I, I, I'm just proud because the first 10, we all know, you know, um, it wasn't great against Edmonton. And after the, actually, after the 10-minute the, the mark after the first, I mean, uh, during the first, I think it was 11, 12, they only had one shot. So the optics looks like it was really bad. Obviously, Denver was all world, but then I thought, we started to come, and I think that's what I'm most proud about. You know, we didn't let the game get away from us. Um, we had some, obviously, some big games from some individuals, but I think as a team, we kind of kept it together. Third and fourth line turned the game for us. Um, you know, obviously, Millsy's line was a bull. Um, P, P's line got us that big goal, and I think our defense anchored, you know, a, a fairly, I mean, a very good hockey team. So, in all in all, um, other than that first 10, that's kind of what I'm happy about is that we can get, get the game back. Put the Miller line together before training camp. At that time, did you have that would be a matchup line in mind? Well, I, I, I was lucky when I got you know hired and it was in February. I got hired. My vision was to try to put some kind of line together. And obviously, you know, at the time, you know, Brock was struggling a little bit. You know, um, we didn't really have Giuseppe. I think it was in Abbotsford. I, I, and then, so I just when those guys played together, I think you know that kind of hey, this could be a pretty good line. And I'll be honest, with you, Millsy actually was pushing for it in the summer. Like he goes, "Hey, we could be a good line." So that helps me make a decision too. Rick, them serving as a matchup line. One thing that's been pretty interesting is you and Adam are sort of self-matching, uh, Hughes and Baronic, and, and really going after Tufts with that as like a five-man unit. Yeah. Um, how does that work between you and Adam? And, and what is what's the benefit, I suppose, of having like a five-man matchup unit? Well, first of all, it's he, it's good that he agrees with me, my philosophy, so that's the good part. Um, I got to tell you, um, my experience when I was in Pittsburgh, when we were struggling and then Mike Sullivan came in and then we started playing Latang with Sid's line, our, our team, it turned over. Uh, it was around Christmas time. So a little experience from the past for me knowing that and, uh, and having that five, those five guys to play against the top line. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they can play with Pease line, which is a possession line too. But, uh, you know, large chunks of this year, yeah, we've had those five guys out against star players. Is there something about having Pedersen then spend so much of his time on the ice with your other defense pairs that also sort of helps you I don't want to use a word like insulate, but give some additional push when you don't have, you know, the, those two puck movers on the ice on the back end. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, that's why I'm so adamant us playing fast. Like, we don't want to take pucks back. You know, if there, if if there's a line that, if you want to regroup a little bit more, it'd probably be the Patterson line. But, you know, most of the lines, that's why, you know, if Cole or or, or, or Myers or those guys are on, they know when they play with, with PD, they want to play fast too. So 
it's just a predi more predictable game when you play, uh, play with certain lights. Obviously, a lot of things have gone your way, but one thing, yeah. one thing early on, this team scored a lot of power play goals over the last four years, and you sort of took over running it yourself yeah. and then changed up the system, and to this point, you've got to be pretty happy with the returns. What are you seeing that you like there, and what are you seeing where you want to get better? Um, I'm, not, I'm not a play guy. I mean, I don't like a lot of plays. I'm a concept guy. And today's game, um, especially against a lot of diamond teams, you, ha you have to have movement. Um, you know, I think in the past, they've had a great power play. Sometimes it gets spotty, you know, with, with a spot power play. This guy's always here and this guy's here. I don't think in the long run you can be successful that way. I think you, you can scout a power play when it's a spot power play. Um, so bringing the concept, for me, the movement, and then letting those guys let their creativity. Like, uh, yeah, I tell them certain things, but then... They're very creative. They're, they, if, if we're in a power play, I mean, they're like, hey, I'll, they'll say. So, Pete, if you go here, I'll go here. I'll let them say it. So sometimes in those meetings, I, sometimes I don't say anything. Uh, but to me, the concept is the movement. I, I do want movement. As a, sorry, sorry, yeah. It's not just the um, new system, though, right? You also had to replace the guy who scored the most five-on-four for this team over yeah. the last two years. And, and sort of Fesser's been the guy to do that. How quickly has he in particular grasped the movement that you're looking for. Yeah, I think he's been really terrific in just his uh, hockey IQ, knowing where to go at certain times. Obviously, Horvat's one of the best bumper guys. You know, I know him in Vancouver, he's, he's outstanding. So um, I don't think you're going to replace Bo Horvat. I think what you do is everybody takes a piece of it. You'll see Bess will be at the side of the post, Kuzi will be in the middle, or yeah. sometimes we've had Pedersen in the middle of the ice. So um, it's a, a committee. Uh, that's kind of done it, but most of the times I think best done it is hockey IQ in the power play is really outstanding this year. I think he's done a great job. I mean, he scored a goal in front of the net, yeah. and he wasn't in the bumper, so that's the sort of goals that you get from from him. Yeah. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett uh, speaking after the team practiced in Ottawa today before they they begin their uh, three game Eastern Canadian road trip and. Uh, I've heard rumors that there might be a couple of lost talkit answers from the, from that presser that we might be able to unearth at some point here. We'll see. We'll see if we can get to them. But uh, we hear there. <laughs> we'll see if we can doctor up the audio quality sufficiently yes, to get yes. you them. The apocryphal talkit answers uh, that may or may not exist, and we might be able to play here. But uh, we can add another one. He's a puzzle guy. He's also a concept guy. Trancer, not a plays guy. Concept, a concept con guy. Uh, yeah, I mean. And what and what are puzzles except a, a, t a test of your concepts? Well, I also enjoy, you know, when he said, I'm not really a plays guy. Like his partner's trying to drag him to Bard on the beach or something. He's like, yeah, not, not really, not a big plays guy. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, but that was uh, Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. <laughs> Uh, with lots of interesting there, and in particular, you know, no surprise, we've all seen it, we've heard him talk about it before, but the concept of just ex the extreme focus on movement on the power play as kind of the number one guiding star for what that unit is trying to do. You brought up how, how well Brock Besser has fit in Bo Horvat's place, or at least not in his place in the sense of only being in the bumper, but uh, coming in as the, the fifth man in that unit. Yes. And that has really been so key that they, they haven't missed a beat, really, <laughs> stepping in there. Well, I, I had business to attend to at practice. Like, I, I wasn't going to have an opportunity to talk to Brock Besser. But, you, you know, for our regular listeners who heard me yesterday sort of ideate on air about yes. this thing I wanted to talk to Besser about, like, you can 
you can then hear talk it and you can hear that I'm planting the seeds for whatever I'm going to do there. So this is, you know, very much how the sausage gets made inside inside um you know the deranged mind of a of a beat writer the canucks talk to the athletic column pipeline is, is alive yes, and well as, 100%. Yeah, it goes both ways <laughs> but, but it, is, it does it is alive uh and well for sure um it is uh, Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. You can get in your thoughts. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And, uh, you know, talk, it was also asked the the hot question right now, which is, is this sustainable? And I thought he had a very fair and reasonable answer, which was, you know, he acknowledged, yeah, we're not – just because you play well doesn't mean you're going to win every game, right? You can do all of the things that your process demands. You can – you know, do all of the staples and you're still going to lose some games. But the key thing to be monitoring is the underlying process. And so far he likes what he's seen there. And, you know, of course, look, you're nine, two and one. He's not going to come out and say, uh, actually, I don't think this is sustainable at all. But I thought that was, again, another very balanced, fair answer from Rick Tockett, which is uh, no surprise there. And, you know, I thought it was interesting, too, that he shouted out to get kind of back in loop around to what we started the show with, Drancer, talking about where does Teddy Bluger fit in when he returns. I thought it was interesting that Rick Tockett shouted out the third and fourth line specifically as turning the game for them in that Edmonton one, the team that kind of, you know, obviously Pew Suter gets the goal, Niels Hoaglander gets the big one later, but, you know, specifically referencing the bottom six, which early in the season was not really clicking as something that that turned that game around helped them stay in and eventually helped them get the two points against Edmonton well and and especially fascinating given that we know that Bluger's coming back yeah you know like we know that Teddy Bluger's coming back and we know too that Tockett views the performance of the fourth line against the Oilers as a, a big plus and we've seen him lean on them heavily late in games you know like that he uses their down ice pressure a lot because it's a lot to handle. Like Lafferty and Hoaglander, you know, they almost remind me. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go old timer here. They almost remind me of um, like, do you remember the old Latowski, Chubarov, sure, um, Yarko, Rutu, Canucks third line during the West Coast? Like they're just a bunch of fast, assertive guys who get down ice. I think they're hard to break out against, and I think they're really dangerous when they're countering against teams that are pressing. Uh, when Vancouver's leading, I mean that's a that's a good set of attributes to have in a fourth line. So, how do you get Bluger in? Who comes out? And you know, if the answer is Beauvillier, if your favorite answer is Beauvillier, then what does that do up up further up the lineup where Beauvillier often spots Andre Kuzmenko in situations yep. where the Canucks are leading? Um, you know, the, the ripple effects of that decision are pretty significant. And it, it is interesting though, because all those attributes you're describing with the fourth line. Teddy Bluger fits with that, right? And I think that like Teddy Bluger yeah. has a chance to come in and be kind of solidify the identity of that line. That's why they signed him, right? And especially after they added Suter as well, and Bluger kind of slid down uh, in our mind's eye to that fourth line center spot. Exactly what you laid, laid out there in terms of the speed and the ability to be disruptive, a fourth line you can trust in late situations because Teddy Bluger has the defensive side to his game. I think that's what they're going for, and Bluger could be a huge addition to that. But as you say, you have to find a way to get him in there. Now, I still don't think it would be Beauvillier coming out. You know, you mentioned Beauvillier is often out there in place of Andre Kuzmenko late in games because of defensive concerns. Could you use Connor Garland? in that spot, but then you have a hole on the 
on the third line that you have to adjust for. It's going to be a really a really difficult question. I just don't I also don't think, you know, so much has been made about accountability, right? And hey, even if it's JT Miller, if he makes a bad play, I'm going to sit him down for 4 minutes. Or if somebody else does something bad, they're going to see their minutes reduced. I think the flip side of that is you have there has to be a certain amount of if you're playing well, you're going to be rewarded. And in that context, forget about his long-term development. I think it would be really difficult to take Niels Hoaglander out of the lineup right now. Right? Like, I think it would just so clearly not be a merit based decision. And to me, that runs counter to so much of the accountability and the professionalism and the culture that you're trying to build if, if he's the guy that you end up taking out of the lineup. Yeah. I mean, what more can this guy do other than be six foot two? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the like, and the, I guess this too is where you get into the, the, the issue where, you know, is it just hard to roster Hoaglander with Garland, given that every time they've been tried together, it's been quickly moved off of, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so I, I, there are no easy answers, but the good thing is at least we're talking about 13, you know, pretty good forwards uh, that the Canucks have to choose from. Here's one other thing I want to talk about. You know, I, I think there's been some slippage in terms of the quality of Vancouver's penalty kill. I don't think it's hurt them yet, but I think that's largely Demko-related as opposed to the same sort of penalty-killing improvement that we've seen for most of Rick Tockett's tenure. Um, just an interesting thing to track because you know who's going to help there is Teddy, Teddy, Bluger, Teddy Bluger, who was for sure. signed to be the first guy you know over the boards when whenever a Canucks player is in the box. So... Um, you know, that's sort of one area in particular where I'm sure the Canucks are anxious to get Bluger into the lineup. Um, you know, again, it hasn't burned them yet, but I do think the PK has been playing with fire a little bit more frequently, a little bit more noticeably of late. Uh, I know I've been talking about it a little bit this week just because the underlying profile is really pointing in a in a concerning direction. And so if you're able to get Bluger into the lineup, whether it is tomorrow in Ottawa or on Friday in Toronto or on Sunday – uh, Saturday in Toronto or on Sunday in Montreal, um, you know, can, can he arrest that slide before it actually impacts the bottom line for this team? That's sort of an interesting dynamic to track here, too, as Bluger prepares to return. There's two spots you're looking for, right? One is Bluger coming in, right, and doing what he's capable of doing and what he was signed to do. And the other one, and Jason Bukala mentioned this, is as as well as Mark Friedman has fit in here since he's joined the team, he's also a guy who's only playing about 13 minutes a game, doesn't really feature on the penalty kill, and that that's a tough thing to manage around, right? You've got a guy on your second pairing that you don't really trust to put out there on the penalty kill. And again, it's just, you know, we're circling around it. We know the team needs to uh, improve on the right side of their blue line. And like that's just another indicator, right? Where, okay, Freeman and Cole, that's been great. That You, you don't know how long it's going to last, but it'd be one thing if he was doing it on the penalty kill as well. The fact that he's not just, again, points in that direction. Like that is a clear spot. Uh, you you want to get Bluger back and you would love to have another right shot defenseman that you can, you feel comfortable putting out there. Uh, when the other team's on the man advantage. Yeah. What, one other thing about uh, like Friedman and Phil DiGiuseppe is that, you know, if you're a Toronto kid, like the, the most expensive place to be from in the NHL is Toronto. Because when you roll through, <laughs> right? Like even the team rate for tickets is pricey because it's a Leafs game. Right. Yep. Um, and so you just turn off your phone. You just got to turn off your phone. 48 to 72 hours before you get home. You know, you don't want to duck all those um, 
all those like, hey, man, can I get tickets from friends? It's like, yeah, StubHub, Ticketmaster. <laughs> yeah, I've got a great tip it's for a, you. It's a, Go buy some tickets. Yeah, it's a tough run. This this is a tough seventy two hours. I promise you for for both Phil DiGiuseppe and Mark Freeman. Obviously exciting. Yeah, like it's exciting. Well, especially to play for Phil a, a, in for, Toronto for Phil DiGiuseppe, on- right? With the, like the the role he's found and everything to come, given how his you know how much he's had to scrap and prove yeah. himself in his career. And you know what's wild? And no I know kidding. Rick kind of brought this up as uh, I don't know if he was trying to question DiGiuseppe's place in the top six, but just highlighting, right. He's making so little and he's playing in the top six here. And we're having this conversation about which forward is going to come out of the lineup when they're totally healthy. And when we started having that conversation, one person, one person texted in to the inbox, six fifty, six fifty. What about bringing PDG out? And I like recoiled instantly reading the text and you you go back a few months and you're like, yeah, maybe he would be the 13th forward, but he's been such a good fit with that line. And as I said, that's been such an identity line. Like the idea of bringing him out, it seems ridiculous right now because he's doing so much of what Rick Tockett is asking him. And I thought it was interesting to hear Rick Tockett say like Miller kind of pushed for those guys to stay together because he thought they could be a really good line. And Phil Giuseppe has gone from, you know, AHL guy battling to be in the NHL to when I see someone suggest taking him out of the lineup, I'm like, no, what are you talking about? They could never. Why would you do that? Yeah, I mean, PDG, yeah, it's working, and his his work as an F1 is so big, so big. Now, long-term, long-term, would you love to find a guy, maybe with some size and maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. scoring touch, who's just as much a dog on the bone as an F1? Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm certainly open to it. But but part of the benefit of that wouldn't be up the upgrade on Phil DiGiuseppe solely. It would be that Phil DiGiuseppe then bumps into your bottom six and improves that group, which is already playing pretty well, but which could use another guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, um, you know, based on the form that he's hit. Yeah, no, look, uh, it's PDG's world. We're just living in it. Like PDG's 35-point season as an, as an everyday second-line uh, winger, like, I, I mean, I think that's – well within the cards over the balance of the campaign. Yeah, it's a different conversation with PDG than it is with Friedman, right? Friedman, it's like, hey, that's been nice, but there's a, I don't want to say urgency because the team is playing really well, but as you start to look ahead to maybe a playoff run, you would really like to have a different solution on the right side of the blue line. I agree with you that, hey, if there's a winger out there that you can add and he fits and he clicks with Miller and Besser, that's awesome. But I also don't look at that as a problem that needs to be solved in any way right now. Like the line is working, the line is doing, its job if an impact player becomes available that can sub in there that's great but to me it doesn't have to be high on your priority list to go like you're not like oh man how can we bump pdg down he's doing it well enough that he's earned that spot uh in the lineup about forward depth and you know hey if they do move bovillier or garland or something like that and you know bukala mentioned they have players in the ahl they could call up neil zaman has been uh, off to a good start there. Obviously, Arshdeep Baines was leading the league in scoring, still putting up a ton of points. Uh, I did want to note that Vasilipod Colson, who, of course, had that really scary incident a couple of weeks ago, he was practicing with the Abbotsford Canucks today, hasn't Love been with them since then. So that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves at all here, given how Pud Colson looked in the preseason and in training camp and then that injury. But I do start to wonder, you know, what are we talking about? We're talking about, hey, is there a physical winger who has a little bit of skill? You know, I start to think, okay, 
give him plenty of time to get back, get in his groove, build that confidence up. But that's kind of like, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Vasily Podgolzin if he's firing on all cylinders. And I do wonder, you know, three months down the road, is he all of a sudden an option to come in and push for some minutes in a crowded uh, Canucks forward spot? Because he does so, he does check so many of the boxes that we're talking about here. Well, you certainly hope so, but man, he's got a lot. He's got a lot to prove when he gets a oh, shot. Yeah. You know, and I still think he's a guy who you want to keep in a simple role when he gets back to the NHL. You know, hit some people, play reckless, as the club likes to say about him, and uh, and we'll go from there. You know, like uh, for me, I, I'd like to see him definitely play in the NHL this season uh, once he gets healthy. But what a great sack of practice. Um, especially given the severity uh, of that injury when it first happened. Yeah, it's fantastic to see and uh, really, really promising. We heard good things from Ryan Johnson right after it happened, that the early prognosis was good, and you never know if that's going to continue. It's always scary with those types of injuries, so great to see that he has been progressing and is able now to get back on the ice with his team. Hopefully he can get back into uh, to a game situation in short order. Uh, actually, hopefully... Hopefully we're going to have Abbotsford Canucks head coach Jeremy Collison on the show later this week. So that'll be good. We can get an update there and check in on uh, everything going with, going on with the Abbotsford Canucks. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to uh, Donnie and Dolly for coming on with the crossover. By the way, you can check out the crossover in full on the Sportsnet YouTube channel every week. You can check it out in full. So make sure you go do that. If you if you don't want to just listen to us chirp each other back and forth and talk over each other, you can watch us do it as well, which is very exciting. <laughs> Love it. Always a thrill to do that. And I do want to remind you also as well uh, that Canucks icon Trevor Linden is going to join Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central later on this afternoon. So I don't have the exact time. I just saw the, the teaser picture from Dan Riccio. So you'll just have to listen to the whole show. But Trevor Linden is going to be on with uh, with Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio. Always appointment listening when Trevor Linden makes an appearance. Thank you to listening for us. We will be back tomorrow. It's a Canucks game day. We'll have you covered. Uh, it is Sportsnet 650.